would uh, turn with us to chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. We are moving through, folks. Can you believe it? It only has 22 chapters, and um, this one is a powerful chapter, like all of them, I guess, but uh, this one especially, and uh, I unplugged this, so anyway, I unplugged it earlier in the week. I know Gabe, Gabe put his hands on his hips there. He's mad at me, but we'll, we'll, we'll plug it in. But hey, I want you to know something. Uh, boy, we sprang, the Lord sprang something on us, and so thankful and happy and proud of you folks who are coming and helping. Uh, so every day this week now, we've been uh, in conjunction with the West Jefferson Hill School District. We've been uh, 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 passing out school lunches, and uh, they deliver them here, and uh, we pass them out. And if you want to just see how, uh, you know, just the Lord has totally provided. We already put up a store downstairs, a little Christmas store, so uh, people can come and uh, have Christmas gifts for their families, and so that's a real blessing. And uh, uh, so anyway, it's been a, a beautiful time, and so thanks to all the servants who've come and helped out, because uh, it really means a lot. Uh, let's do this. Let's start off with a prayer, and uh, you're going to know the prayer, but let's not say it in a rote manner. Uh, uh, let's say it with meaning, uh, thinking actually about the words that we're praying to the Lord. I'm going to start the prayer, and you're going to catch on to it, uh, and you'll know my point later in the sermon. But uh, if you'd bow your heads with me, that'd be great. And we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, why did I have us pray that prayer? Because all that we've ever prayed is coming true in this chapter. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We've said it many times, and sometimes in my former life, my life before Christ, I had said it without even thinking about it or wondering about it or anything, just said it. I can remember having to teach my college roommate the prayer because he didn't know it, and we said it uh, before um, football games and after football games, but we were just doing it as lucky rabbit's feet kind of prayers. But now, as a Christian, it takes on a whole different meaning. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is going to come to fruition. It does come to fruition, and in a larger sense, it is going to come to fruition. It's going to come to pass right here on this earth. And tonight we're going to read about it. And so, as we turn over to the 20th chapter, grab your Bibles, open it up. Here's what it says, the word of the Lord, chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. 
But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, beheaded excuse me, for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Now, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in that resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from the prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, sound familiar, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil, who deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne judgment and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So here we go. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus Christ himself taught us to pray for what we're about ready to read and what will come to pass. He asked us to pray for it. He taught his disciples and followers to pray for it, and here it comes. Now, you know this, right? In the last chapter, we see Jesus coming back to the earth. Verse 11, chapter 19. You ready? Follow along with me. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. Oh, man, aren't you glad you serve the Lord Jesus Christ who's faithful and true? You can count on Jesus. There's not anyone you can truly say you can count on. Oh, yes, husbands and wives, best friends, grandmas and grandpas. Yes, you can count on them, but you make mistakes. You forget things. You Right? We just do. This one never does. He's always faithful and he's always true. You can always count that whatever he's working out in your life, whatever he's working out in your life, whatever it is, he's working it out for good according to his purposes so that he would conform you to the image of his son. And sometimes, folks, that hurts. Doesn't it? It hurts being chiseled away at. Who who likes having to swallow their pride. I don't know. I don't. 
maybe you guys are easy, have it easier with that. But here, we, he, we, he's called faithful and true, and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. In fact, in Exodus, he's called a warrior. Do you know that? God is called a warrior, a man of war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his heads were many crowns, diadems. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. We're going to be exploring the greatness and the grandeur and the majesty and the glories of Jesus Christ for all eternity. That's what I think that says. That's right. Amen. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The Word, the Word, and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen. Praise the Lord that we get his righteousness. White and clean followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it should strike the nation, or he should strike the nation, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. That's a fulfilling of Psalm 2, a prophecy of Psalm 2. You should read that if your Bible students know Psalm 2. Very important. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. You know this, right? In John 5, all we're going to read it here in a little bit. All judgment is given to the Son. <laughs> and he is on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. And we went through this. We see at the end here, Armageddon happen. We see at the end here, Armageddon happen, and this alignment, this campaign of the armies of the world set themselves up against Christ and his armies, and they're all killed with the sword which proceeds from the mouth of him who sits on the horse, and all the birds will filled with their flesh. They came and ate up all the carcass. Right? But you've come back. You're coming back. You're in heaven now uh, in this story. You've been raptured. You've been caught up in the clouds, and you're coming back to rule and reign on earth with Jesus Christ. But there's other things that are going to happen, and here in chapter 20, we see them. And if you'll think about what you already know from the book of Revelation, it'll start to make sense to you how this all unfolds. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having key to the bottomless pit. He had, he had a key to the bottomless pit. Now remember, the bottomless pit, I think it's over in Revelation 14. That's where those nasty locusts were loosed from that were demonic in nature and came and chewed up people on the earth or stung people on the earth. I think it's in Revelation 14. It's the Abuso, the Abuso, some place uh, where uh, fallen angels are chained up. You could see them in some of the other New Testament books. But that is where this angel comes down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He lays hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. Lucifer, this fallen angel, falls and becomes this dragon, this dastardly evil dragon, a serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And bound him for a thousand years. Now listen, many Bible students don't believe. This chapter is very controversial in Christendom. Do you know this? For There's a segment of Christians who don't believe that this 
1,000-year period is literal. What, what does millennium mean? We call it the millennium. This period of history known as the millennium. Well, mille means thousand, and annum means year, so a thousand-year reign. It's mentioned that particular number of years is mentioned six times, six times in this chapter, six times. So is it a literal kingdom or is it not? Many people spiritualize this, as I told you today, and that they, uh, the interpreters just say, well, a thousand is just the, a, a perfectly round number of 10 times 10 times 10, and that it's a kind of a, a symbol. It's like symbolic here. It's Christ's victory at the cross, and it's talking about the blessings that flow that now that Satan has been bound and defeated. But see, Satan, although he has been defeated at the cross, he still attacks people. I, right? What do you think you're asked to do every morning? You know what you're asked to do? You're asked to put on the full armor of God to withstand what? The fiery darts, the wiles of the devil, the fiery darts that he's shooting towards you. He can't have you and uh, pluck you out of the Lord's hands. The Bible tells us that. But while he, you're here, he wants to make you and your witness and your testimony ineffective. And one of the ways he's going to do that is he wants to get into your mind and tell you things. And he's going to tell you things like this. I, I had this question today. I'm no good. I mean, am I really a Christian? <laughs> I didn't say the right thing to somebody. I didn't act the right way with somebody. You see, that's the enemy coming in to your head and saying, what do you mean, are you really a Christian? Are you counting on the way in which you act or what Jesus Christ has accomplished at the cross, right? We're counting on his finished work at the cross and his resurrection for all of our lives. And now out of that, as he comes to live in our lives, yes, our behavior flows from the filling of the Holy Spirit, but, but the enemy wants you to think it's up to you. Or are you even, you said that? Or, or you know, uh, you start to feel lonely and depressed, which I'm not saying is easy to get over. That's not what I'm saying. But the enemy, when he, when he knows you're starting to feel like that, he's going to say stuff like this. You should just stay home. Nobody wants to see you at church. Why would you go there? Nobody likes you. When the reality is you're a favored child of the king, bought by the blood of Christ. You're no longer your own. A price was paid for you that's immeasurable. You're valuable to the Lord. He would go and sell the whole field to gain the treasure or, you know, buy and sell the field to gain the treasure for, uh, uh, in that field, and you're the treasure. So, so, see, here's why it's so important to know the word, because you're going to wake up like this sometimes, and you're going to feel like this sometimes, and the enemy's going to shoot fiery darts at you. Here's this one from old. He is here, and he has been defeated, and yet he attacks. Now, for those who believe this uh, section of Scripture is symbolic, they're called amillennialists. 
that's the, the strain of uh, thought uh, in interpreting this uh, uh, chapter 20. An amillennialist, the millennium never happened in, this, in a sense. It's just symbolic. It means that Jesus has defeated Satan and that things are going to be good and right. But let me ask you something. Turn over uh, to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. I'm having trouble getting there, so hold on here. Hmm. Now we could go through a million of these scriptures. You know this, right? You could go to Isaiah 2, Isaiah 4, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 12, Isaiah 30, Isaiah 35, and a million more, right? But I'm just going to read you a very famous one that you all know. It says this in uh, verse 6 here. We'll start there. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing shot. This one gets me. Does this sound get anybody else but me? The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Ooh, man, that freaks me out. But whatever. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Here it comes. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. Now, when, folks, has that ever happened? It's happened one time before, before the fall. And it's going to happen again, but it hasn't happened yet. And for that and for a million other reasons, not a million, but a lot of other reasons, I want you to know that this best way to interpret this is that it's literal. Why else would you interpret it not literal? It says a thousand years. It is a thousand years. And so here you come, and uh, it says that uh, this angel is given a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he just grabs the dragon. Isn't this fascinating? And the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, bound him for a thousand years and cast him in the bottomless pit. And listen, and listen to this. And shut him up. Now, I know what you're saying here. Yeah, he shut him up in the abuso. But I just told you one way to shut up the devil. You understand this, folks. Listen, listen to me. The devil is not the opposite of God. We got to get that out of our thinking. It's not God over here and the devil over here. It's not. God is here above all. And the enemy of our souls is a fallen angel that he created, right? So it's not equal. And he's not equal. And the way in which to shut him up, I described one way. You know the word. I had somebody call me today about Christianity. They really didn't know much about Christianity, and I talked to them for a while, and uh, they had an interest in reading the Bible, and here's what I said. And then, you know, should I, they were asking me, should I come to your church? Or should, and it's not my church anyway, but, you know, come to the church at Calvary Chapel. Should I do that? Or should, and I, here's what I said to them. Here, here's exactly what I said to them. Do whatever you can in your whole life. Do whatever you can to learn the Word of God. 
I don't know where that puts you, wherever the Holy Spirit puts you, whatever church that puts you in, make sure you're learning the Word of God. If you're not, if you're just basing your, your church experience on experience, and I like experience, but not at the expense of learning the Word, because it's the power of God unto salvation first, and then it gets in here and it does something, and we all know what it does. It cuts. It does its surgery. The Lord uses this to make somebody a child of God and then propel somebody down the path of sanctification. Know the Word. How do you shut Satan up? Know the Word. You know how else to shut Satan up? Do good in the name of the Lord. You know when it says walk in the Spirit? I love this little throw-in in Galatians 5. You know the walk in the Spirit. You know what all the fruit of the Spirit is. You guys colored it. It was so cute in Sunday school. It was so cute. And then at the end, you know what it says? Against such there is no law. You cannot, listen, you can't combat the fruit of the Spirit. And oh, by the way, it is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. There's not a whole bunch of fruits there's one fruit with subset underneath that fruit, and the fruit is love, which is powerful because you, you know that proverb, that psalm. Is it proverb or psalm where you heap coals of kindness? You know, he put coals on your head, heap kindness on people. What, do you, what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? If somebody reviles you, bless them. You want to shut Satan up? Be nice to the people who aren't nice to you. You Listen, if you've never read, watched Free Burma Rangers, just do whatever you have to do after tonight to go watch the movie. Just go watch it. And here's this tough guy who's devoted his entire life. He's in the military, but he wants to be a missionary. He, he, he fights against the Burmese army who are killing their own people and then other places. And he fights for the oppressed and those who have no hope and those who are in bombed out war-torn countries, the babies and moms. And he pulls people out of the rubble. It's unbelievable. And they ask him after all these years, what have you learned? You know, I'm thinking, oh, good. I'm going to find the secret about how to shoot an M16 or, you know, how to, you know, you know, testosterone's running through my body now. And when they pose the question, yes, all right, here it comes. What's the answer? He goes, the thing I've learned is to fight evil. There's only one way. It's with love. He got it so right. He got it so right. He fought evil. He stood up to the oppressors, but then loved passionately people. How do you shut up Satan? You know the word, and you do good in the Lord. I'm convinced. Well, anyway, he's cast into this bottomless pit. This bottomless pit is not the ultimate resting place. This is the abuso. This is from Revelation 14. You can go back and look. And he cast him there, and he shut him, uh, shut a seal, or set a seal on him so that, what, what? Look at this. Is this for the times or what? What's one of the jobs of Satan? To deceive nations. Nations are ruled by what? Who? Government. Politicians. Folks, he's in the con uh, confusing business. He's in the deceiving business. He wants to take whole nations and 
drive them out into the sea just to kill them and ruin them. And I just have to tell you, I feel like that's behind lots of what we're going through right now. I feel like it's demonic. I mean, we hear stuff on TV, and you're just scratching your head like, what? That doesn't make any sense. You've all said it to me. I've said it to you. You watch it as a Christian, you're like, none of this makes sense. The way in which the world's acting towards this virus, these restrictions, and a lot of other things. Is God in control? Of course he is. But the enemy of our souls still wants to deceive the nations. But he's not going to do it when Jesus comes back. He'll cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more. But look. Look. But there's a little asterisk until the end, until the thousand years were finished. Wait a minute. People scratch their head here. This is the most asked question I ever get right here about the end times. Wait a minute. Why would, why would the Lord allow Satan, Lucifer, to be unchained? Well, we're going to talk about it in a minute. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So he is released. So I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and not received his mark on their foreheads or in the hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. See, this is a big learning chapter for Bible students. Turn with me over to John chapter 5. Look in verse 24. Most assuredly, Jesus said, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the, uh, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given them him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Look at this and come forth. Check this out. Ready? You ever read through this and go, what in the world is this talking about? Well, those who have done good will be come forth to the resurrection of life. There's a resurrection of life. You see this? There's a resurrection of life. But to those who have done evil, to the resurrection of condemnation, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So go back here. Go back here. So you have these things. You have this thing called the first resurrection. The first resurrection. There's two resurrection. Now, you got to think about the first resurrection like, uh, as one pastor puts it, like a parade. It comes in waves. It's not just one single event. Why? Because, oh, don't you love Leviticus? You folks love Leviticus. 
because there's this thing called the first fruits. And where there's first fruits, there's more to follow, right? Everybody track it with me? And Jesus Christ is the first fruit. You actually can see it in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23, the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a first fruit. But that means there's more coming, right? Okay, let's think about this. Those who believe in Jesus Christ but died before the rapture. Did you hear what I said? Those who believe in Jesus Christ but died before the rapture. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. It's very important that you know this. You get this, right? Verse 13. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. What does it mean when they say asleep in the Bible? It means they've died. No issue here. They've fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Isn't it beautiful that the Lord tells you this so that you won't be as sad as you could be because you have hope? We grieve. Of course we miss the people we love. Of course we do. But we grieve with hope. Honey, do you need to, to go take care of that? Okay. You okay? Okay, good. All right. But I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep with Jesus. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, listen, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, here it comes. You ready for this? That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we won't. We will by no means proceed those who are asleep. You understand? It's a, it's a backwards way of saying the people who are dead are going to go first. You got it? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's the resurrection. It's in waves at the, at the tribulation. Those who have died in Christ are going to be resurrected then. That's the first resurrection. It's in waves. Jesus Christ is the first fruit. Dead in Christ rise first, but keep reading. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There's the other resurrection. There's where you get your glorified, resurrected body. You catching it? Everybody learning from this? You, you seeing this? You, you have this thing where Jesus is the first fruit, 1 Corinthians, and those who believe in Jesus but died before the raptures, he told you right in 1 Thessalonians, they're going to rise first. And then believers uh, who are alive at the time of the rapture are going to rise up, and they're going to get their resurrected bodies. And it appears that those who were martyred in the tribulation for the refusal to, you know, take the mark and give in to the uh, Antichrist in Revelation 20, verse 4. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. They've been resurrected. How about that? By the way, some believe Daniel 12, 2, 1 through 4, actually. Jan Daniel 12, 1 through 4, sorry. 
that all the Old Testament saints who died before Jesus, you understand what I'm saying now? Died before Jesus came. We know in Luke 16, they were in that great chasm that uh, uh, was between those, uh, you, you know, uh, Lazarus and, and paradise. You, you know, if you, if you don't know Luke 16, you should know Luke 16. It's very important. In one place was that rich guy that wanted uh, people to go over and tell his family back on the earth. And then in the other uh, area, or uh, um, um, I don't know what else you'd call it, uh, the other Abraham's bosom. There we go. What would you say? Oh, chamber. There we go. Good word. Chamber. The other chamber uh, were those who were in paradise. Remember, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. There's some indications that when Jesus died, he went to set the captives free and he took them uh, to heaven as well. But what happened to the Old Testament saints? Well, Daniel 12, 1 through 4 tells us that they've been resurrected too. Now, you all catching me? I went through some a lot of stuff right there, but I want you to learn it and know it because that's the first resurrection. And the reason I want you to learn it and know it because there's hope. <laughs> the Bible tells us that there's this resurrection for those who are in Christ and for those who believed God for all that they could believe him for, right? And he sees on these thrones the church, us, that judgment was committed to them. Remember that scripture that tells us that we'll be, having a, we'll be participating in judgment. Isn't it amazing? Us. Have you, went, have you gone to law school? No, you haven't gone to law school. But there's some way in which you're going to be enforcing, I think, and helping the Lord, if I can say it that way, enforcing righteousness. Because you have to remember one other thing that always screws people up about the thousand-year reign. You see, there are some people that got their heads cut off and martyred, and they're also going to be on the throne. You read it right here in Revelation 24, along with us, right? You get it? But some people are going to make it into the tribulation without their glorified resurrected body, whether they're part of that hidden people that hide themselves and make it through, and somehow they're going to make it. And when they get here into the tribulation, Isaiah 65 says, and some believe that nobody's going to die during this period, but at least in Isaiah 65, it seems as if we're going to live tons longer. Again, you can read it for yourself. Now watch, watch. But those people who make it into the tribulation without their glorified resurrected body, guess what they're going to do? They're going to have babies. And they're going to have babies and they're going to have babies, and there's going to be this group of people, look at this, I want you, this is important for the whole thing, that grow up in basically, for lack of a better phrase, although it's, uh, it's not, but I'll say the word, like this perfect peace utopia. I mean, for, for goodness sake, a baby could sit, sit right there by the cobra hole, stick its hand down a viper's nest, it's going to be like as if the Garden of Eden, perfect prosperity, and there's going to be the Lord executing and helping to uh, institute righteousness in the way in which is fair and just. Are you all tracking with me so far? I hope I haven't lost you because I have a point to this. But here, they didn't worship the beast and they didn't receive his mark and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, here it comes, but watch this. 
But the rest of the dead didn't live again until the thousand years were finished. What's that talking about? Well, there's dead. They're in the chamber of the Luke 16 where those who didn't believe God before Christ came, they went to. You understand this? There's two chambers in Luke 16. Paradise, Abraham's bosom, and a chamber in which you and I don't want to be in. And that's the temporary, for lack of a better phrase, holding place of the dead. In fact, when you say people die now and go to hell, that's not exactly right. They don't yet. And this is the chapter that shows you that. (laughs) They go and they're in a place called Hades. That chamber in Luke 16. Got it? Everybody got it? But something has to happen for them. And here he alludes to it in verse 5. The rest of the dead, non-believers, didn't live again until the thousand years were finished. What's he talking about? He's talking about that second, or excuse me, yeah, the second resurrection. The first resurrection is the resurrection of the believers. Check it out. It comes in waves. The second resurrection comes in verse 11, but we're not quite there yet. Well, the first resurrection, but catch this. Verse 6, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. See, so here we go. My friend who asked me that question, I'm not doing very well, am I? (laughs) Well, how much better could you be doing? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ and your surrender to his life and received into your life all that Jesus has for you, look at this, you get his righteousness so that he can present you faultly before, without fault, faultly, oh my, without fault before the throne. No spot, no blemish. The bride is being presented to the Lord and it's because of all that he has done, not how great you are or how great I am. You're blessed and holy as he who has a part in the first resurrection. There is one thing for yourself, folks. You must have a healthy understanding of who you are in Christ. You're not a loser. You're not, you are, I guess, in one sense, although people debate this, a sinner. You are. You're a sinner saved by grace, but you've been saved by grace. And you've been put into the family of God, and you're blessed and holy. You're not spiritually speaking, a pauper anymore. You're a prince or a princess. You're royalty. You're part of a chosen generation, a holy nation. Now look, over such, the second death has no power. Second death, mentioned a couple times, first in chapter two. But this second death, what's a second death? Well, you don't want to be at the set. You don't want to have a second death. Folks, listen to this. Death this way is talking about spiritual death. Spiritual death means separation from God from eternity. You and I, unless we get raptured first, I have news for you. Do you know this? We're going to die. Unless the Lord comes first for him in the rapture. But if, if not, you're going to die. So am I. I'm going to die. That's the first death. We're all going to die unless the Lord comes first. We're all going to die. But then only those who are unbelievers experience the second death. Because the second death is eternal separation from God. No, I just read it to you in John 5. You're not going to uh, experience a second death. You already have 
eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? So over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God. That's what we are. We're priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. I'm convinced. You know that one scripture, that one proverb says, God gives you the desires of your heart. You know that scripture? And some of you, some of you like to hunt and some of you like to, you know, fiddle with, uh, Why, why do you guys like to fix things? What's wrong with you people? But anyway, I'm kidding. I can't fix anything. But you know what I'm saying? You, you guys love to fix things and do construction. That's awesome. And some people like to visit and do hospitality. And some people like to cook and do the, you know what I'm convinced? This is just me now. You don't have to believe this. I'm convinced when you're ruling and reigning in his administration during this time, that you're going to experience the desires of your heart. He's going to put you in the place that you love because now it's fully devoted unto him. You get it? You guys all have different things that you like and do, right? You don't like the same things I do. I don't like the same things you do. We're all brothers in Christ, of course, but he's going to use them for a thousand years in the millennium in his kingdom. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know what? So much is being prayed right there. Part of that is you're praying for what you're going to be doing in the administration. Isn't that cool? You know, you might like sports or whatever. All right. I could go off anyway. All right. Now, when the 1,000 years have expired, what's this all about? Are you serious? This is the number one question I get about eschatology right here. Here it comes. Number one question. When the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released. What? He's going to be released from his prison and he's going to go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. Look at this. Immediately when he was released, by the way, just take note. What did he do? He doesn't stop fighting. He's a defeated enemy. Been chained. He doesn't stop fighting. Folks, if you don't get the demonic evil stuff out of your life. It'll just keep coming back. You, you say, oh, you know, I'll just, I'll just take it off my phone. I'll just put it over here for a minute. <laughs> You're fooling yourself. You got to stamp it out. You got to cut it out. You got to get rid of it. Well, here, and the Lord does get rid of it ultimately, but here, here Satan gets released. He is behind this Gog and Magog invasion. Now, wait a minute. You're saying, wait a second. Bible students, Ezekiel 38, 39. About one year ago, we had a Bible prophecy update. The Russia, with some other allies, is going to come down from the north and is going to attack Israel. Yes. And there's going to be a miraculous victory. Is that what this is? No, it's not. That happens either right before the rapture happens, or right after the rapture happens. We don't know exact timing, but that's when that happens. This happens after the thousand-year reign. Now, some people don't believe this is an actual Gog and Magog invasion. Some people believe the Bible here is saying something like, you ever, say, you ever said to somebody, oh, that's his own personal Waterloo? That's a Waterloo. You know, you're talking about Napoleon and his conquering and invasion. It's like something you just kind of say. Some people believe this is just a figure of speech to say that the enemy was going to go against uh, uh, Israel again or against God again, against God again. 
Other people believe this is a real battle that happens at the end of 1,000 years. But that's not the point I want you to get. This devil who deceived them is cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. So now the unholy trinity is put back together in the, uh, uh, the lake of fire. Hell, the ultimate resting place of the dead. Hell. But why does God allow Satan to be released from the Abuso and have rain on the earth again? Why? Oh, man. It's one of the most beautiful doctrines of the Bible, I think. It's going to set Calvinists and Arminianists on edge. One of the reasons, I think, one of the reasons is because love requires a choice. And there's going to be people on this earth during this time, during the thousand-year reign, who are going to, listen, listen, this is important, who are going to have external peace and prosperity, but nothing inside has transformed. And the Lord is going to let Satan out so that they could either go follow the wars that happen against God himself, which is what man's been doing from the beginning, or they're going to follow the Lord. I think that's one reason. What's another reason? Because people are going to you know, need to make that choice, however you want to say it theologically, listen to this, I think God's proving a point. How beautiful, how miraculous, how wonderful, how important God's plan of salvation in the, in the, in the life of a person is. His grace, his mercy, his word that has been shouting through the ages that Jesus is the only one, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We must surrender and follow him. And I think what he's doing here is showing us that love is a choice, but also that this plan that he's put forth before the foundation of the world, it always has been and it always will be. And it's always effective in the sense, and it's always beautiful. It's God's grace that saves. And then the devil is thrown into this lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. That's the Antichrist and the false prophet. That statesman and that religious leader have already been there, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Not just there. You catching it? This is hell. But this is a place of torment. You ever been in a dark area or something, and you've just been so scared you didn't know what to do? You just couldn't even hardly function. You know what I'm talking about? And here, that's going to be all the time for eternity. Just tormented, weeping and gnashing of teeth and no relief ever. Well, here, verse 11, now we see what happens to those who are dead, the rest of the dead, verse 5, that did not live again until the thousand years were finished. John 5 tells us that they must be resurrected unto condemnation, and here it comes. Believers now, or excuse me, unbelievers now are resurrected to this. What are they resurrected to? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. 
just reading this, I just want to go tell everybody. I want you to go tell everybody. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works uh, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. See, Hades delivered up the dead, the chamber. And they were judged, each one according to his works. I'm telling you, I read that for a long time, and it never hit me. <laughs> but it hits me now. Go, go over just to Ephesians, the most famous chapter, verse of Ephesians. But I want you to see something. Chapter 2. Look at verse 8. You all know it. You could probably say it by... For by grace, you guys can all quote it, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Listen to this. Not of works, works, lest anyone should boast. God's grace doesn't depend upon your works or my works. You know, and I always say it, right? God's so smart, because if so, you know what I might be tempted to say to my wife or to my kids or to you all? Oh, man, I was here a lot more than you were. Chalk me up. It's my works. But I know we're all on equal ground, right, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Keeps you humble. Anyway, for a grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone would should boast. For we are his workmanship, but we were created in Christ Jesus as new creations. We're created unto good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're created unto good works. Well, how beautiful. And the Bible tells us that we get Christ's righteousness. Write this one down, 2 Corinthians. 521, we get Christ's righteousness when we surrender our lives to Christ. But the Lord is perfectly fair and just. And you know what you and I would say? You know what I would say if I was in charge of this process? You know what I would say? Here's what I'd say. Oh, look, look. Doesn't look like you went to church much. Doesn't look like you have a prayer journal. You didn't give much. I don't ever see you studying the Bible. Did you surrender your life to Christ? No, I never did that. Gone. Kapow. Throw you into the lake of fire. That's what I would do, right? Wouldn't you do that? Here's what the Lord says. The Lord says, oh, okay. Now, he probably doesn't say this, but this is the effect. As you're coming, I see you perfectly in the blood of my son. Come on in, brother. Come on in, sister, or whatever. Come on in, son. Come on in, daughter, whatever, right? Oh, but I don't see you in Christ. But to be perfectly fair, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to judge you according to your works. Do you see it? Do you see it? God isn't laughing. I don't think he is. I would be laughing. I would be like, you're toast, man. God's like, no, 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 we're going to do this judicially and the fair way. I'll judge you according to your works. But the problem is, you know it from the book of James, if you failed in one thing, one thing, you've been great most of the time, but you failed in one thing. And folks, come on, don't lie. You sin every day, and so do I. 
If you failed in one point, you failed the whole thing. And the Bible tells us the wages of sin is our death. Spiritual separation from God. But God will be fair. He'll judge you according to your works. So here's, here's the point. When I hear somebody, I'm such a bad Christian. It's my pet peeve, man. I, I want to attack that. I know what they're saying. But when I hear that, I know it's misplaced. Because here's what you ought to be saying. What am I counting on, my righteousness or his? <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Oh, I'm counting on his righteousness because I've counted on the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross and his resurrection. He took what was coming to me, but he gave what I never deserved. His righteousness, I'm counting on that. It keeps you humble. I'm counting on that. I don't want to count on my own works, and I don't want anybody in the world to count upon their own works. You, you know, folks, one of the great strategies of Satan is he's gotten the American church to believe that your good works save you. And there's millions and millions of people running around thinking they're doing good, putting tons of money in the box, serving on committees, blah, 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 and they're counting on the wrong thing. Now, one last point, and we'll go. Do you know... Think about this. There are people who lived for 1,000 years under the most perfect conditions that man could ever live under. And they still deny the Lord. Which tells us so many things, but one thing it tells you if you're chasing happiness in things, you'll never be happy. That's the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Are you catching what I'm saying? You think things are it. Jesus said, if you gain the whole world but lose your soul, what is that? There's no lasting peace. There's no lasting satisfaction. There's no lasting Enduring life. There's no life. There's nothing without the Lord. I posted this the other day. Go to Psalm 144. Uh-oh. I forget which verse it is. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, there it is. Verse 15, second, second part of verse 15. Happy are the people who chase after circumstances. No, you'll be depressed. You'll be anxious. Listen, man, a thousand years. A thousand years in paradise, but it was all external. There was no inward transformation for those people who made it through the tribulation and into the millennium, lived under perfect conditions, perfect conditions, never a bill to pay, never a death, never a crime, nothing. It was all perfect and wonderful and beautiful. And you'd think, wow, they lived with perfect circumstances. Didn't Marxism uh, espouse utopia and stuff like that? Utopia. But when the enemy is released, they still don't choose 
Jesus. Because if you chase happiness in circumstances and not the person and work of Jesus Christ, you will always, always, always be devastated. So I'm going to pray for us. And I got to tell you, it's easy to get this mixed up. Do I have agreement on that? It is easy to get this mixed up. If only she wouldn't have left me. If only he would stay. If only my boss would recognize me. If only I got an A. If only I went to this school. If only that girl would like me. If only that boy would like me. If only they would let me preach. Then things would be perfect. Anybody ever said that? I've said stuff like that. What if we just got to the place like the Levites where the Lord was their portion and nothing else? Let's pray. Well, Lord, thanks so much uh, for this evening and uh, your word here in Revelation chapter 20, Lord. As we move through it, how exciting to be a part of it, Lord. Lord, but uh, there are many who are perishing. And I pray together with my brothers and sisters that you would bring, until you come back, Lord, many laborers for the harvest. And I pray that many here would go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ today or tonight, tomorrow, all week, and that many would come to know you in a real and saving way. Lord, may there be a spiritual awakening here in the United States, right here in the Mon Valley. May there be a revival starting with us, Lord. May we call sin, sin. May we be people of prayer. And most importantly, Lord, may you pour out your spirits in our hearts and the hearts of others who need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys and uh, have a great week. And uh, if there's anything we could pray for, let's do it.